We're looking at Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18 this week. It might be familiar to some of you. This is part of the uh, Christmas story, one of the passages that is read often around uh, the Christmas time. And it tells a little bit about how all this came together, if you find it in your programs. Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is God's word for God's children this morning. Now, we all like Christmas, or most of you like Christmas. I know there's a couple of you out there who don't like Christmas, but I won't, I won't call you out right now. Uh, and one of the reasons is because Christmas is that cozy time of the year. You know, the, the, the basic narrative of Christmas, it's about a baby being born in a petting zoo, a baby that never cries. It just kind of sits there and coos, and the parents who never get stressed out, they just kind of kneel before the baby, and there's all these, these docile animals surrounding them, and it's just this, this picture of cozy and warm and safe. But as we saw a little glimpse of the actual story of Christmas for the actual players on the first Christmas was terrifying and devastating and disconcerting in every possible way. I mean, Joseph and Mary were, were a little peasant couple living up in Nazareth, way out in the boondocks. And, and here they, they are getting ready to get married, and an angel comes in and disrupts all of their plan, disrupts their reputation, disrupts their circumstance. And then on top of that, Joseph is called by the census. He has got to travel to Jerusalem, uh, to, to, to Bethlehem to be counted, and all these things are coming together for, for Joseph. He doesn't know what to do, and an angel comes to him. And the angel has a simple message to Joseph, a basic message to Joseph. He says, the angel's message is, Joseph, do not be afraid, because being part of the Christmas story is terrifying. What you're about to face is going to be life-shattering, but in the midst of it, do not be afraid. The angel's basic message is, if you're going to survive, if you're going to go through all of this, you're going to need to take courage. And I think for all of us, that angel's a, a model for us, because to get through life with any sense of uh, focus, you're, there are going to be times when all of us need to have courage and to let Jesus into our life for all of us is going to require courage. I think one of the reasons we keep Jesus out of our life is because we're afraid to put our trust and put our hope in him. So I want to look at reasons we can have courage and take courage in the midst of, in the midst of all that's the chaos in our life and we'll learn from the story of Joseph in this, in this, uh, in this matter. Joseph 
one of the reasons he had to fear is he had to fear the world's disdain. You know, jo Mary and Joseph were two uh, pious little people, two people with good reputations. And all of a sudden, Mary's reputation is blown up while she finds herself to be pregnant outside of wedlock. And, you know, today there's almost no stigma to that. But if you were living in a small little peasant village in the first century AD, it was tremendous stigma. In fact, it meant basically your life and the life of your child would be ruined forever and ever because you, there would be no recovery of your, rep, of your reputation. There would be no aid, no support for you from anybody in your town. So, so Mary is in this terrible place and Joseph just says, well, I guess she's not who I thought I was, uh, who I thought she was. And so it says he was a righteous man. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's like, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. I'm just going to call off the plans and, and then I'm going to get on with my life. And it's at that point that the angel comes into him and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take on the stigma that Mary has. Do not be afraid to take on the stigma that this child is going to have. If, if he leaves, he can get on with his life and preserve his reputation, but if he stays with her, then her shame becomes his shame, and her disgrace becomes his disgrace. And the angel is saying to him, you know, there's something more important than maintaining your reputation. There's something more important than what the other people in your little village think of you. There's something more important than what your family thinks about you. There's something more important than what your neighbors or your coworkers or your old friends think about you. And that's following through on God's call in your life. And that's being faithful to God and being open to what God is calling you to do. Joseph was willing to take that risk. Joseph was willing to put it all on the line because, only because an angel appeared to him and an angel told him, Joseph, don't chicken out now. This could be big. People might be talking about you 2,000 years from now if you do the right thing <laughs> right now. And you might even be dramatically portrayed in ways you can't even imagine. <laughs> but, uh, but in the moment, Joseph had every reason to be terrified, but he had to have faith in the words of the angel. And for all of us, as we try to follow Christ, as we try to get through life and try to be faithful, there'll be times when terror and fear overcome us as well. And like Joseph, we need to live by faith in those times. We need to remember that as important as it is to be well thought of by your family, there's something more important. As important as it is to be well thought of by your friends, there's something more important. As important as it is to have a good reputation in your village, there's something more important. And that's letting Jesus into your life and following, following him regardless of what other people think of you. So the first thing that involved, that, that's contained in the character the courage of Christmas is the courage to deal with being misunderstood and even alienated if you're doing it because of your commitment to be faithful to God and to be faithful to his word. For Joseph, his perspective was changed by the angel coming to him and speaking to him directly. And, and I, I think for most of us, most of the time, we don't get an angel coming and speaking to us directly. But, but there's a principle there of believing that God is in control and God is going to work things out as we continue to trust in him. 
So, so Joseph has to learn not to be afraid. And the second thing Joseph has to do is he needs to embrace the adventure of lordship. I mean, this angel has a strange mixed message to him. On the one hand, he says, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. What is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing he says is, the angel says is, you're going to claim this baby, but you don't get to name this baby. You will call his name Jesus, he says. And that, that's kind of kind of mixed up because one of the basic principles of life is if you own something, if something belongs to you, one of the marks of that is that you get to name that thing. You know, you buy a boat and if you're creative, maybe you want to name your boat. It's your boat. You can name your boat whatever you want. You get a puppy. One of the ways you make that puppy your own is you decide this is going to be the name of my new puppy. You have a child. The child belongs to you. It's your right. As the parents, you get to name the child. But, but the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, you're going to have this child. You're going to take her home as, as take, take this child as, as your own. But you don't get to name this child. You will call his name Jesus. And see, the requirement of faith, what this shows us is as we follow Christ, as we surrender our lives to God, one of the requirements of faith is it, we don't get to live on our own terms. We have to live on his terms. We don't get to do things our way. We have to do things his way. And sometimes even our most basic rights have to be surrendered for the sake of following God's will, following God's law, and becoming, accomplishing what God is calling us to, to accomplish. You know, all of us, I think we, when we bring God into our lives when we decide we're going to put our faith in Christ and we decide we're going to try to get our lives right and follow God, we, we kind of have expectations personally that come with that. You know, that if I follow God, He's going to make my life better. He's going to help me resolve these issues that I'm facing. He's going to help me find true love in this world. He's going to make me more well-rounded. He's going to make me healthy. I'm going to be healed. He's going to make me wealthy. I'm going to find the job that I want. He's going to work things out. He's going to make me look good. But when what this shows us for, for Joseph and for all of us is when we come to Christ, when Christ comes into our life, we don't name him. He renames us. We don't control him. He takes control of us. We don't get to define him. He gets to redefine us. And you don't know if you surrender to the adventure of Lordship, if you have the courage to surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't know quite what that's going to mean for your life or quite what direction that's going to take your life in. None of us can be sure about all that that is going to entail him. But our call is to surrender to him. Our call, our, our job is to trust in him. In Joseph's life, as in your life, we need to yield to the adventure of lordship. You know, in, in our day and age, I, I think this is just the human condition, but it's, it's uh, notable in our day and age, we feel like we have this absolute right to our own self-identification and self-expression. But Jesus... But, but the adventure of lordship says you've got to surrender that to God. We want sometimes to elevate our own individuality, but the adventure of lordship is surrendering our individuality to follow him. We want to control our independence and control our life and have a plan for our lives and make sure it works out, but 
what the angel was saying to Joseph is, your plan for your life just got blown up. God has another plan for you. And thousands of years from now, people will still be talking to you about you because of what is going to happen in your life. We come to Christ. We identify with him. We surrender to his lordship. It means that we're saying God is God. And if God is God, I'm not God, right? It means that God owns us. We don't own him. He sets the agenda for us. We don't set the agenda for him. And he names us. We don't name him. That's what we mean when we pray the prayer, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, saying, I'm surrendering my kingdom to your kingdom. I'm surrendering my will to your will. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. That's the adventure of lordship. And that's a courageous thing to do, because as long as we can stay in control of our lives, as long as we can live lives on our terms, then, 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 then we can, might feel like we, we know what the outcome is going to be. But when you surrender your life to Christ, when you surrender your future to Christ, you surrender your relationships to Christ, you surrender your career to Christ, you're saying, I don't quite know what the outcome is going to be, but I trust that God is going to work this for his purpose and for my good. So, so Joseph sur surrenders to lordship. Joseph, Joseph has the courage to let Jesus into his life. And then the, the third thing I want you to see is he has the courage even to face himself. What does the angel say to Joseph? He says, you will call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. What was Jesus' method? Mess message what was Jesus reason for coming it was to save you and to save me from our sins you know Jesus is famous for a lot of things he's famous as a great moral teacher whose teachings are still respected by a lot of people today you know people read the the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings of Jesus and quote his teachings as, as sort of some of the most profound things that have ever been said he was who was a, a, the founder of a movement that 2,000 years later encompasses over a billion people in this world who claim to be followers of Jesus. He was a great prophet. He was, uh, he was inspiring and gave a lot of people good feelings. But what was his ultimate purpose? His greatest <laughs> purpose was to save you, to save me from our sins. And now this whole concept of sin is, is completely unfashionable today. I find even when I'm writing messages, even when I'm trying to explain things, I try to stay away from the idea of sin and guilt because, because it's just so, it, it sounds so uh, old school and so, so kind of irrelevant to the way we think about people and think about life today. But, I mean, have you ever noticed that when we have issues, rather than saying, there's something wrong with me that I've got to address. We look around for someone else to blame. Well, it's my kid's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my, my neighbor's fault. There's, there's, there's someone else who's the, who's the problem here. My, my problem is my spouse, or my problem is that I'm single. My problem is my boss. My problem is my coworkers. My problem is the people who work for me. My problem is the president or the mayor. We just find, find people all around us to blame for our problems, because the one person who we can't blame or, or hold responsible is who? Ourselves. That's, that's the thing that's terrifying. The one thing we can't do is take responsibility for ourselves. You know, cause, and the reason for that is because Frankly, if you don't have a solution to your own problems, looking at yourself 
and evaluating yourself and holding yourself responsible can be emotionally and psychologically and spiritually unbearable because all of us have problems, personal problems that we can't fix ourselves, that we don't have the ability to fix ourselves. So we justify ourselves by putting the blame on someone else. You know, if I can blame, if I can blame the principal or my teacher or my boss or my employees or, or my neighbors for my problems, I don't have to consider my own contribution to my problems. And so, you know, it's really hard for us sometimes to face our guilt, face our moral failure, face our own responsibility for the issues that we have. Uh, and, and yet, I think, as I talk to people, almost all of us have a part of our life, an area of our life that we can't look at, that we can't acknowledge, that we can't talk about, that we can't maybe that we're even blind to, and it's the thing, the thing that we're blind to is the thing that's actually causing all of the issues that we have. What is that? In a word, that's sin. That's our moral bankruptcy. That's the broken part of us that we just can't fix in our own situation. So the only thing we can do is blame other people or, or call it an illness or talk about our victimization or talk about the problems in, in our world that have made us this way rather than taking personal responsibility. But Jesus came to save his people from their sin. You will call his name Jesus, the angel says, and he will save his people from their sin. Now, if you look at Jesus, this actually becomes a terrifying thought because the life of Jesus and the work of Jesus shows us that saving you and me from our sin is no small task. It wasn't just a matter of saying, okay, I want to get my life back together and get on a good tra track. Jesus had to do a lot to save you and me from our sin. This is the message of the gospel, right? Jesus had to come, become one of us on the first Christmas. It says he had to live an absolutely perfect and flawless and sinless life. And then at the end of his life, what happened to him? He was rejected by all of his friends, abandoned by his friends, he was condemned by the authorities, he suffered and died on a cross, and then, and then on that cross, rather than having a full assurance that he was doing the work of God, he had a spiritual breakdown. His last words, one of his last words were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here's the perfect beloved Son of God who had lived forever in perfect communion from God, and he's calling out in agony because he's been forsaken by his Father. Why have you forsaken me? If God had answered, he would have said, you were forsaken so that they could be embraced. You were punished so that they could be rewarded. You were rejected so that they could be brought in. The life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, Christmas and his perfect life and Good Friday when he suffered and died, then ultimately Easter when he rose again from the, the dead. That's God's picture of what it takes for God to, be, to forgive our sins, to save us from our sins. Now, do you understand why you don't want to deal with your sins? It's too hard. It's, there's too much there and you don't have a solution to it. But the message of the gospel is there is a solution. The solution came. He was born on the very first Christmas and he, he lived and he died on the very first Good Friday and he conquered death on the very first Easter. And that's the only hope we have. And that's what, 
why Christmas is so important to us Christians. That means you don't have to find a scapegoat for all your issues. You don't have to blame your wacky parents or your rebellious kids. You can take the blame on yourself and then trust that Jesus is going to take away that blame. You can be justified not by the fact that that your life has been hard and you've had a lot of difficulties, but you can be justified by the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sins and you're trusting in him and in him alone. Knowing, knowing his love, I can look at my sin and not descend into utter despair because I do have a solution to it. And it's not to explain it away. It's to trust that his work, his life, his death, his resurrection was sufficient to deal with the problem of our sin. And so th this is why Jesus came, and this is what he invites us to have the courage to do, not just the courage to surrender our lives to whatever God's plan might be for us, not just the courage to believe that he's going to rename us and redefine us in a way that we can't even imagine right now, but the courage to actually face our moral failure, to face our spiritual bankruptcy, to face our utter brokenness, and to believe that he is going to be able to redeem even that. The gospel invites us to look inside of ourselves and to be honest. And what the gospel tells us is when you look inside of yourself and when you do look at yourself honestly, what you discover is that you're more broken and more flawed and more guilty than, than even your worst enemy has ever accused you of being. But because Jesus has come, you can be more loved and know more grace and be more secure than you ever hoped you could possibly, possibly be. You know, the, the world, modern religion, modern spirituality such as it is, it invites us, it encourages us to look within for strength, to look within for goodness, to look within for insight. But the gospel says, if you look within, it's going to be pretty scary. It might be a pretty empty cavern. But if you look up and you look to that baby who was born in Bethlehem and you look to the perfection of Christ, if you look to the grace of Christ, if you look to the sacrifice of Christ, even in the face of all of your mess, even in the face of all of your failure, you can have hope. Talk about the courage of Christmas. Ultimately, the hope for you and for me is that Jesus was the courageous one. He was the one who was sitting in the throne room of God and he had the courage to come down to earth on this mission and to become one of us, to become a baby, go deep undercover as the incarnate son of God. He had the courage to walk this earth and then the courage in the last moment when everything was falling apart, not to bail out and call the legions of angels to protect him from those who were going to hang him on a cross, but the courage to go forth and be hung on that cross and to suffer not just the insults of men, but also being forsaken by his father. And our courage falters, my courage falters, all of us, our courage falters from time to time. But the promise of the gospel is if we trust in him, even when we chicken out, even when our courage fails, even when we fall short, there's hope for us because he is the Savior who came and rescued his people from their sins. He can be your champion. He can be your strong man. He can be 
your courageous victor if you will rest in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the courage of Jesus. I thank you that he was willing to lay aside all of his glory and grandeur and become one of us. And I pray that you would, you would help us to follow him, to courageously follow him. I know a lot of people here today are facing a lot of terrifying circumstances, financial circumstances, uh, family circumstances, job circumstances, just uh, personal circumstances in their homes. I pray that you'll give us all the courage to trust that in the midst of all those terrifying things we face, that you have come and you are going to redeem those circumstances. You are going to work things out as we believe in you. Make that real, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.